when Jesus was speaking, he used everyday events and simple illustrations to illustrate what he was talking about. He used things like doors and sheep and sheepfolds and bread and water, light and salt. He spoke about lost articles, the woman who lost a bit of jewellery and she had to search the house until she found it. Things that happen to everyday people. He spoke about a lost son. He spoke about seed. He spoke about sowers, sowing the seed. And he even spoke about weeds. And when he gave object lessons, he spoke about filling old wine skins with new wine. And they're bursting. And everything was lost. Or he said, trying to put a patch on an old garment. And everything just pulling away. And it was useless. That particular illustration with the wine, it was the old covenant that was passing away. And he knew that people would try and keep that old covenant going. And try and add bits of the new covenant, his teaching, to the old covenant. And what was going to happen? It was going to be a disaster. It was going to all break up. And then he spoke in parables. The parables and the stories he told to illustrate his teaching. Like the one of the man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And a very modern thing happened to him. He was mugged. He was left for half dead. And the, the story of the Good Samaritan came as a result of that. Yes, he picked things and we were told that the common people heard him gladly. The Pharisees didn't like him. They spoke in riddles to the people. They made the religion difficult. But Jesus spoke in such a way that the common people heard him gladly. It would be great if every time we speak, people heard us gladly. And continuing in that theme, he spoke about two things. In Matthew 5.13, he said, Ye are the salt of the earth. Now that's an expression that we hear now and again. Speaking of people, what's, your, what's that chap like? He's the salt of the earth. And it has come into everyday usage, together with many other quotations from the Bible. I bet most people don't realise they're talking that we're talking about the Bible when you say somebody's the salt of the earth. But Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savour, its freshness, how can you ever get that back again? He says. It's fit for nothing but to be thrown out and trodden under the foot of man. And then he says in the same passage. Ye are the light of the world. And he goes on to say that a city that is set on a hill can't be hid. And he's, no man lights a candle and puts it under a cover. But he puts it on a candlestick. And it gives light to everybody in the house. And he said, therefore, your light should shine before men. That they may see your good works. And glorify you. No. He said, if they see your good works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Don't expect any praise from people. 
Those are the two things he spoke about there. Salt and light. Salt is something we use every day. But salt and light have two things in common. They react to the atmosphere in which you put them. Salt and country people would know this. Years ago they used a lot of salt. Put it into barrels with bacon. And it preserved. It drove out all the impurities. And it preserved. It reacted in the surroundings into which you put it. I was gardening a while, a couple of days ago actually. And I went back into the house and I was working around the kitchen. And suddenly my hand was stinging. And I realised that salt had got into a little cut. It was beginning to react. And that's what Jesus said. We're to be like salt. Those who are followers of his have to be like salt in this world. We have to react in the atmosphere, in the conditions in which we are living. It may not be popular to be salt. But that's what Jesus said. We're to be salt. And then he said, you're the light of the world. Now, I'm sure you've never really thought too much about being regarded as the light of the world. Probably never thought about it. But Jesus said his followers are the light of the world. Of course, we can't be the light of the world unless we have the light of God shining through us. And that's why Jesus said in John 8, 12, it says, Then Jesus spake again unto them and said, I am the light of the world. He's the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus constantly spoke about light and spoke about darkness. Why did, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? If you ask a theologian that, he'll give you a very long answer. But we want to keep it simple. Why did he come? I'll tell you why he came. He came to give light to a dark world. That's why he came. That's why he came as the light of the world. There's a prophecy way back in Isaiah 42 and verse 6. And it's God speaking to the Lord Jesus. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. That's people like you and me. And here's why it says, To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. To open blind eyes, and to bring out the prisoners from the prison to them that sit in darkness. Jesus was coming into a dark world. And if you go and read Matthew 4 and verse 13, 
we read there that Jesus left his hometown of Nazareth and he came and dwelt in Capernaum and he came to fulfill that prophecy from Isaiah chapter 42 verse 6 and here's what it says the people which sat in darkness saw great light and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death light is sprung up and from that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom is at hand Jesus came he lived his life for 30 years or so in Nazareth and then the time came for him to present himself onto the scene and something unbelievable and quite mind-blowing had occurred which would change mankind for all time and for eternity Jesus the sinless son of God had begun to preach he started preaching something which had never happened before Jesus started he would eventually be crucified by sinful men and give his life a ransom for the sins of the world this was the beginning of something unbelievable God's plan of salvation was beginning to move into action and so we read in John 3 from verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God and listen to this this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light Jesus came as the light of the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought of God what it's saying there is man comes into the world and hates the light the light has come into the world man hates the light he loves the darkness the light of the world has come you know when I was a kid in our home in the hallway there was a plaque and on the plaque was a, a painting or a, a re reproduction of the painting the light of the world we've You've all seen the light of the world, Jesus standing outside a door, all overgrown with ivy. And he's standing there 
with a, with a, a lantern, painted by a man called Holman Hunt. And beside that, there was a little bit of prose. And that is depicting the verse in Revelation 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. There are two. He painted two pictures. Holman Hunt, he painted a small one which hangs in uh, Keeble College in Oxford. But he painted a larger one near the end of his life and it hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral. And someone is supposed to have said to Hunt, you've made a mistake. There's no handle on the door. And Hunt said no. The handle is on the inside. You have to open the door to the Lord Jesus for him to come in to your life. The Queen's father, when the guns of war were just beginning to sound over the world, 1939 or so, and on his Christmas message, he repeated the little bit of prose that was beside that picture in our hallway. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he said, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. We have to put our hand into the one who is the light of the world and he will guide us through life I wonder did many people put their hand into the hand of Jesus after that particular uh, broadcast you see the world is full of darkness I want to go to Acts chapter 26 Acts of the Apostles, chapter 26. And you can read these verses more fully when you're on your own. I'm going to read from around about 12. We're going to look at verses around about 12 to, 13, to 18, and then a few sort of 24 to 29. But I'll, I'll give you a, a synopsis of what it is. Paul had been arrested. And he was in prison awaiting shipment to Rome. He had been accused and falsely accused. And he had appealed to be tried in Rome at Caesar's court. We don't know why but he was actually a Roman citizen. A free born Roman citizen. And he had the right to appeal. And so he was, he was in this prison awaiting shipment. And the, 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 the governor, chap uh, Festus, he was, it was his job to send Paul off eventually. But he was having difficulty formulating the reason 
why Paul was in prison. It's, it would appear that Festus couldn't see any just reason why Paul was there. And then this King Agrippa, he arrived with this great entourage. And Festus discussed the case of Paul with him and it was decided that Paul would be brought before Agrippa and that he would examine him himself so as to assist Festus in some way. That, that seems to be roughly what happened. And so we have this passage in Acts 26. And Paul stands there and he starts and gives an account of why he is there, what happened to him. How he was taken and uh, shut up in prison. He told how he had been an accuser of the Christians. How he had gone around taking them out of synagogues, arresting them, being brutal to them. And really being quite a nasty person as regards the Christian church. And he had got instructions from the chief priests to go to Damascus to do this uh, evil work of persecuting the church. And on his way to Damascus, at midday, suddenly in front of them on the roadway was this blockage of light. It was so powerful and so strong that they fell to the ground, those who were with him, and he heard a voice saying, So, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The pricks were those goads at the back of an ox cart to stop the ox kicking over the traces. But it would appear that Paul maybe was having some pricking of his conscience about what he was doing. Because Jesus said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul said, who, who are you? Who are you? Who are you, Lord? Oh, he recognized that whoever presence he was in, he was almighty because he had caused this amazing thing to happen. This light brighter than the midday sun in the east. And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But he says, rise up, because I have a job. I have something for you to do for me. You're going to be a witness of these things and of other things. And you'll be working with the Gentiles. That's going to be your job for me. And then he set out what Paul was going to do, or Saul as he was. 
to open their eyes, to open people's eyes, very similar to what it said Jesus came for. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. This darkness keeps cropping up that's in this world. Paul, you're going to open their eyes and you're going to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. And that they may receive forgiveness of sins. What a commission he was given. To open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. And that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And I believe. You and I who are Christians have the same commission. Our commission is to go about telling others of the Lord Jesus Christ so that their, their eyes may be opened, that they will be turned from the darkness which is in this world unto light and their sins will be forgiven. Just as an aside, we've no mention, further mention, about Agrippa, apart from the fact that he said to Paul, he was going on, and Agrippa said, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning has made you mad. You're off your rocker. And Paul said, Oh, I'm not. But I wish that everybody and yourself were just as mad as I am at that rate of going. And here's a very sad thing. Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We've no record of him ever becoming a Christian. How close he was. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day. On thee I'll call. Almost persuaded. Come, come today. Almost persuaded. Turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. O wanderer, come. Almost persuaded. Harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad that bitter wail. Almost 
but lost. Saul in these verses was commissioned to the Gentiles. What was it? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Did Paul carry out this commission in his life? The commission he'd been given by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And if we look at Colossians chapter 1, and just two verses there, I'll, I'll read them out for you. Colossians 1, he had write, he'd written and he was writing this letter to the Colossians, these new Christians. And here's what he said. He's talking about them. They have been delivered from the power of darkness. And they have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's exactly the commission that he was given. To bring these people out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son and they have been forgiven their sins. He stuck to the commission that had been given to him on the road to Damascus. And as we go through his epistles we see again and again that he had been responsible for bringing these people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ out of the power of darkness. When he was writing to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, we read, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And it goes on. He says, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Exactly what the commission had been. The light has been shining into the hearts and lives of those Corinthians. You know, you and I, we need to endeavour to tell forth the gospel which is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God through Jesus Christ. Now all this talk about darkness. In a few weeks we will see all around us the evidence of the darkness that is practiced by our neighbours at Halloween. Now we're going to have to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, it says he came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. 
And our responsibility is to bear witness to the light of the gospel. We're to be witnesses. When Jesus was leaving the disciples uh, before he ascended, he said, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's what he wants each one of us to be. And what is a witness? A witness is somebody who relates something he knows to be true. A witness doesn't make up things. He only reports what he knows to be true. And usually he replies to questions that he's been asked in court. This world is so dark. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. No darkness have we who in Jesus abide. The light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. Ye dwellers in darkness with sin-blinded eyes. The light of the world is Jesus. Go wash at his bidding and light will arise. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light. He's shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me once I was blind. But now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. Now I'm sure we all have some memories of Halloween. When we were young it seemed much more like a party. A family party. But there was always and always has been an insidious backcloth to Halloween. And as the years have gone on, there has been a much more serious and insidious rise in occult knowledge of the people around us. You just take one example. I remember we were in church one time and a little kid in front of us, he was reading Harry Potter. Went to another service and the kid was reading all about these Pokemon things. They're all insidious. And Harry Potter has probably been one of the major things, major influences on young people in encouraging them to look further into occultic things. All to do with spells and curses and witches and all that kind of stuff. And of course the Church of England even permitted the use of a cathedral for the filming of Harry Potter. That was one instance of the salt losing its strength and being useless when they should have been proclaiming the clear message of Jesus Christ. Over the years it has all changed. I was speaking to some old ladies last week and they were even 
concerned. They weren't all Christians, but they were concerned about the way Halloween is going. They were quite frightened living alone with this whole thing going on around them. It's a dark festival of superstitious, demonic and unbiblical activity. There's always been a pagan relief, a belief apparently that at a particular night, and this is the night, when the, the, the wall, the, the wall between the living and the dead is very thin and it is possible for disturbed spirits to come backwards and forwards. And that's why we have all these pumpkins with gruesome faces and things to try and reject and keep away those evil spirits in some way. Halloween, All Saints Day, All Hallows Eve, All Souls Day. It's, just, it's a festival which has been partially Christianized. It was originally held for the Lord of Death, the Samhain. If you go to very uh, many Roman Catholic countries at this time, I remember a friend of ours, she was Polish. And she used to go home for this time of the year. And she said I, it was a wonderful sight to see that all the people go out to the cemeteries at night time, this particular night, and light candles on all the graves. And she thought it was a wonderful thing. Those poor people were deluded into praying for their dead relations and lighting candles on their graves. Praying to saints, dead saints, who have no control whatever on the eternal destiny of anybody who has died. But then you see, what has happened is that the church had taken over some of these festivals. And tried to blend them in. Tried to Christianize them. And instead of making them Christian. They have ended up with a conglomeration. And a paraphernalia of just evil practices. The Roman Catholic Church prays to the dead. It believes in purgatory. That these souls are... Uh, resting in purgatory and have to we have to pray and produce mass cards and all that kind of stuff in order to get them out they can't tell anybody when when the person does come out of purgatory and they have indulgences and all these things they're all tied in with what goes on the same type of thing which goes on at Halloween I don't want to say too much about the Roman Catholic Church but the, you know the masses millions of masses are performed every year at the mass they believe that by a, a formula and ringing of bells that the bread the, the wafer and the wine 
just doesn't become blood and the flesh of Christ. It becomes Christ himself in all his substance, in all, every part of Christ is in that bread and the wine. It's changed. They would have us believe that that is now Jesus Christ. And they offer him on the altar. In what they call an unbloody sacrifice. And then they eat him. They eat him. That's the, that's the truth of it. They perform an act of cannibalism. And we are expected to join with these people at some time. Pure pagan superstition. Halloween and its practices are to a great extent a mixture of pagan and Roman Catholic origin joined up together with these saints' days. And the Bible is so strict about what we should and should not do. You go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 9. God speaking to Israel. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. The reason why they got into the land was because God drove those people out because of these abominations. But what happened? Israel just did the same things. All those things. A friend of ours recently went and had went to a charmer. We had an old chap down the road from us, an old farmer, and he had shingles. He had shingles. And he had a lot of doctors trying to work at him. He went to a charmer. The charmer charmed the shingles away. Oh, that's okay. Bible says no it's putting a spell it's the same as an enchantment you're buying into that underworld of demonic practice it all seems so simple you know you pick up the woman's own and you look at it and see what's Leo today oh dear look at that you're reading your horoscope it's Banned in the Bible. It's simple. It's simple. But it has deep, deep 
undertones. Therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. Jeremiah 10 verse 2, Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them. But they did not obey. The children of Israel kept disobeying God. Ephesians 5, 11 and 12 Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful evil to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1 Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How can any born-again believer, saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, wish to have any truck with these these uniforms? They have uniforms for little kids. We used to go up to the NEC, and the 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 whole rooms, the whole buildings full of these demonic costumes. Death. All to do with death. Satan's horns. Grotesque masks. What has that got to do with the light of the world? The Lord Jesus Christ. It is an opening to occultic practice. And there's genuine power in the occult. Don't be misled. It is demonic power. Halloween practices can open the door to the occult and can introduce forces into people's lives that they are not capable of dealing with. Any Anybody who looks at scripture and sees demonology as described in scripture and we see it being practiced round about us, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And we are to be salt. Back to the very start, we are to be salt and light. We are to be salt and light. May God give us the courage to stand out against these practices in our community and stand up for the truth of God's word in our daily living. Amen.